This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we travel to the second largest city in the Roman Empire and hear the words Paul wrote to the Ephesians. I feel like I want to open with an apology to all of our listeners. I uh, listened to our podcast on one and a half speed. Good old podcast player. Speed it up, you know. Just uh, like listen to our material. See what's going on. I slowed it down this week to one speed. I uh, I had surgery for a deviated septum. For anybody that knows what that is. My wife used to tell me, you breathe really hard. <laughs> You're a really loud breather. Man, I listened to our podcast on one one speed. Man, I am sorry. You guys have to listen to me. I'll try not to do that into the microphone so much. How about that? That's not a good idea. Sure. Can you just give me like a little little gesture like, hey, you're breathing heavy into the mic. Stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, whew. let's talk about Ephesians. Brent, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Got some shorter podcasts coming up here. We're going to bounce through some letters of Paul, just one episode at a time. And there's like two options. Either you go all the way in, verse by verse, or you just kind of talk about the big ideas. So hopefully we've got some shorter conversations coming up. We'll see about that. Yeah. Not making any promises. Not yet, anyway. The book of Ephesians is going to bring up topics that will run consistently in line with previous discussions we've had about Paul. This letter is going to open with more references to predestination. We talked about that. Speaking of long episodes, that was our longest episode to date, I'm pretty sure. The episode where we talked about predestination. So I would tell you to go back and listen to that again. But whew, that was a long one. But we have. We've talked about predestination. Paul's going to speak in chapter 3 about his special revelation that he preaches in his gospel. His What's the word, Brent? Euangelion. The Euangelion. Is there a Hebrew equivalent for that? Uh, Well, how, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news? That's going to be Isaiah. I don't know what the Hebrew expression is in Isaiah. should be Isaiah 10, I think. Brent will find it. He's going to super sleuth. Um, I don't know if that's Isaiah 10. How beautiful the feet. How beautiful are the feet. That's Romans 10. Excuse me. So it's Isaiah 52, and the term is Tov Basar. Tov Basar. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Tov. Don't know why I didn't think about that immediately. Basar. Yeah. Good words. Good word. Good. Uh, open up Basar. See what it says. Good words. The good word. I like that. I think Basar is word. Uh, news, tidings. Okay. There you go. Announcements. Good news. Announcements. Good Salvation. announcements. Oh, all right. There you go. So good, good news. Tov Basar in the Hebrew. Euangelion in the Greek. And you might remember the conversation within the book of Galatians where Paul was adamant that he did not receive his gospel from the teachings of men, but received it directly from who, Brent? From Jesus. From Jesus himself. So For listen. Three years together. That's right. Just Absolutely. like all the other guys. Yep, that's right. So listen to very similar, listen, you're going to hear some very similar things here in Ephesians. Give us some of these opening verses here, Brent. Chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise 
in Christ Jesus. Paul says that he has received a mystery made known to him by revelation. Sounds kind of similar to Galatians. That through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So a whole bunch of consistency with Galatians. A, that he got this gospel, this mystery made known to him by revelation, and B, that this this gospel, this revelation is about the Gentiles and their inclusion. So this not only finds itself to be completely consistent with Paul's message, but as we've pointed out before, continues to be the main thrust behind so much of the New Testament, even outside of Pauline literature. Like, I know we said that, and we're like, okay, Galatians, and okay, I guess Romans is about, you know, this blended fam- family of Jew and Gentile together, and but not... Here it is in Ephesians as well. This is going to be such a dominant idea throughout all of your New Testament. This is really, in a lot of ways, what your New Testament is even about. Like this, your New Testament is about what happens when all the outsiders are freely welcomed in. So he says this thing here, as I have already written briefly, is there a second letter to the Ephesians that we don't have? Or is he referring to uh, perhaps the letter to Galatians or Romans that would have been circulated through Ephesus, or what are we looking at here? That's a good question. I think I I assume, since this is chapter 3, now you appropriately located it for me, that he's referencing what he's already chatted about, which we're actually going to back up and go read some of that. But um, I think he's probably talking about what he's already written in this letter. But hey, could be another letter. I'd have to you know maybe even look at that phrase and see if it implies something other than how we'd want to read it in English. But yeah, good question. And this also serves as a good transition to talk about the unique message and flavor of the letter to the Ephesians. These Gentiles have become full members of one body and fellow heirs with Israel. This will be Paul's primary argument through the first half of Ephesians. And if we pay close attention to the pronouns of Ephesians 1 through 3, we'll begin to notice what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church. And this is going to be very similar to what we do with Romans, Brent. We have a bunch of passages that we're really familiar with, and we always read them in our own context with our own lives and our own spiritual journeys in mind, and we just read them and apply them to ourselves, which is fine. Totally, totally fine. I'm not not dogging on that. That's great. But if we're thinking context as we read this, we are missing so much in Ephesians 1 and 2. So how about you read how Paul opens the letter here? And, uh, and I want us to pay attention to the pronouns as we, as we listen to it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All right. So uh, by the way, I noticed today as I was preparing for this, this is actually an episode where most of the stuff I'm sharing, I actually learned in Bible college. I always say I like, I look, learned very little that I share today. I'm always so hard on my Bible college. But hey, today's lesson brought to you by Boise Bible College. There you go. (laughs) Oh, if only they were sponsoring us. (laughs) Hey, they're showing me a lot of love lately. I'll return the favor. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
Uh, I want to pay attention to the pronouns here. So here in this passage that Brent just read us, what was the address there, Brent? Chapter 1, 3, 3, 10. All right. Listen to this. Praise be to the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, that very spiritual blessing, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He predestined us for adoption to sonship in accordance with his pleasure and will, which he has freely given us and the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with wisdom and understanding he made known to us. Now you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. The we's and the us's. But who is the us, Brent, do you suppose here? The Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Ah, That's tricky. Now, let's keep reading and see what we find with the pronouns if Paul starts changing. Because at this point, it's just like, yeah, you would be perfectly correct to assume it's at least Jew and Gentile. Uh, He's just using the us pronoun. Unless Paul changes the use of his pronouns, and then you realize that actually there's something very intentional going on in his letter. So Paul starts his letter by, as usual, recognizing the origins of the story of God that lie within the Jewish people. This one narrative God has been telling began with God choosing a partner in Avraham, shaping a nation in the desert and calling them to live at the crossroads of the earth as a kingdom of priests. A lot of session one references there, even session two. As we mentioned in Romans, this is their story to tell. Actually, in the book of Acts, we pointed that out. And who was the they in that case, Brent? Whose story is it to share? The Jews. The Jews. It's the Jews' story. I believe the us and the we and the us, and it's to us, and it's an us, and given us, all of that us is to Jews. I had to write a paper on this in Bible college. That's where this all study for me is kind of rooted in. This will become even more clear in the next statement. Go ahead and give us the next statement. In him, we were also chosen. I'll just interrupt you. Though, What's the pronoun there? We. And who's the we? Who, who do you suppose the we that were chosen? Uh-huh. You're not convinced yet. Not as convinced. Not as convinced. But right now, I'm suggesting Jews. Go ahead. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. All right. So who were the first to put their hope in Christ? Well, if Acts is any indication, that was definitely the Jews. Okay. The Jews. But after making this observation about his Jewish brethren... Paul shifts intentionally the use of his pronouns. Watch. Go ahead, Brent. And you also. What? Wait, what? (laughs) You also. You also. So there's a we, but you also. So there's definitely an intentional distinction between the us and the you. Okay, go ahead. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right. So the pronouns changed. It was we, 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 us, 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 us. And now it's, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him in a seal. See, we get so wound up in Ephesians 1, talking about predestination and seals of the Holy Spirit. Nobody ever notices the pronoun use. Like, this is about Jew and Gentile. Paul's whole opening chapter is about what God's done through the Jews and now about what God has done with the Gentiles. This will become the theme of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a theme of family membership. His message is simple but profound and hard for many in his day to accept. In Christ, these Gentiles, 
now have a place to belong, not as outsiders, but as insiders. Look at what Paul will say later at the beginning of chapter 2 and notice his use of pronouns and their implications. Go ahead, Brent. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As for you, you were dead, right? And who's the you, Brent? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. Go ahead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. Oh, all of us. And what's the next word? Also. All of us also. So there's a clear use of pronouns here. You were dead in your transgressions, you Gentiles, but all of us also lived among you at one time. Because he's writing to Ephesians, which is in the middle of... Greco-Asia. This is not Jerusalem. This is the world of the Greeks and Romans. Go ahead. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And there is this inclusive use of these pronouns, the you's and the us's, and eventually these things start to get blended together. But Paul keeps making a point. It, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And, and we love that verse and we quote it all the time. And it's not that we're misusing it, but we quote it without its context. Because the context here is that you Gentiles, you are outsiders, but by grace you have been saved through faith. Not because of anything you did, because it's a gift by God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But we, and I think at this point that we is, uh, I don't have any etymological backing to say why this pronoun is different, but I think this is a larger truth. He could still be speaking of we as Jews, but you've been invited. You've been brought into this thing that we are God's handiwork. You Gentiles, you've been brought into this. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's that predestination idea that we talked about earlier. It sounds as if Paul has taken a page right out of Romans. Where then is boasting, he had asked in Romans. He also uses the same argument about all of us having been given into the cravings of our flesh. What's the word there, you suppose, Brent? Sarks. Sarks. And just like in Romans, if this is true for all of us, then this gift of salvation comes as a free gift of grace, and no one will find themselves able to boast. So Paul continues. Go ahead, Brent. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is so obviously the the narrative of Ephesians. This is Paul's whole point. And I don't know why it took me till Bible college before I finally had that like impressed upon me. Like Ephesians was one of the books that I was more familiar with having grown up in the church. That book was quoted a lot. And I had never associated Ephesians with the agenda of Gentiles coming into this Jewish thing and this beautiful, scandalous inclusion of the outsiders. Paul says that these Gentiles used to find themselves separated from the people of God. They were excluded from citizenship, he said, in Israel, and were strangers to the covenant. But Jesus has changed all that and brought them near. In Jesus, God tore down any sense of division and resided, that resided between the groups and allowed the Gentiles to enter. From this new truth, God has created a new humanity. I love that phrase, by the way, which is a great translation from the Greek that is able to put on display the reconciliation of God. But Paul isn't done talking about this family membership, one of my favorite passages. Uh, give us the address and tell us where we're at, Brent. Uh, so chapter two, nineteen through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What fantastic news for all of Paul's Gentile readers in Ephesus. Now, are they just readers or has Paul been to Ephesus at some point? Oh, that is a great question that you've caught me on. When did he write versus when does he visit? Um, so he did visit at some point. Yes, Paul will, Paul will definitely make it to, to Ephesus. If you remember when we studied through the book of Acts, he and Priscilla and Aquila from Corinth end up going to Ephesus, where he has about 12 disciples. Uh, that's right. Those 12 disciples are during his time that he stays in Ephesus. Now, I cannot remember if this letter comes first, and I bet actually people will put it on both sides, depending on how they date things. You've caught me unable to answer. Do either of these things coincide with when John was there? So John gets... Oh, man, Brent, I got to pull out all my turkey notes, and I don't have them. <laughs> John gets there first. No. Oh, my goodness gracious. I have to pull out my turkey notes to figure that out. Um, because there's a whole bunch of debates about how the missionary journeys lie and where Paul shows up at which point. I want to say John got there. John is definitely there later. Ah, that I don't know if they're, they're not there at the same time. I want to say Paul gets there first. John shows up later. Yeah, I think that's right. And John pretty much stayed there, right? John pretty much, there's some debate, but I believe John pretty much stays there. The pastor of Asia, centered in Ephesus. He kind of bounces around and ends up at a few different places, especially according to tradition. He ends up in Sardis for a while, but really home base for him is Ephesus for the end of his life. It's where Mary traditionally dies. If you remember, Jesus commits Mary, Mother Mary, to his care. She traditionally dies in Ephesus. So, yeah, man, good questions. Stumped me. Good well, work. Another, another unintentional plug for the turkey trip, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Come, because then I pull out my, my notes and I actually have my material ready. Unlike the podcast where I'm so unprepared. 
Uh, Paul will spend the last half of the letter applying what this means to the believers in Ephesus. If this gospel is true, this announcement of a new king, Jesus, and a new kingdom, a new humanity, then there is a new way that the believers in Ephesus should live. If there is a new king and a new kingdom, they should be living differently. In chapters 4 through 6, you will see Paul draw this out by calling the people of God in Ephesus to walk in the light and love others in a way that the world will see this gospel displayed. He will talk about a practical and more literal family membership in the ways that people treat their spouses, in the ways they treat their children, their parents, and everyone else in their households, that is, even master and slave relationships. All of this will take into account the brilliant context of Ephesus. Speaking of context, I want you to keep in mind as they read the passages about husbands and wives that Ephesus served as the neo-chorus for which goddess, Brett? Uh, was it Artemis? You got it. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. The neo-chorus. That, what is a neo-chorus? Can you, uh, I don't know if we've talked a whole lot about neo-chorus. What is, when Marty says neo-chorus, what does that mean? Temple of the God kind of thing? Yeah, but even more like uh, you would have a temple to Artemis in lots of cities. But if it's the Neocorse, it is like the... The chief temple. Yeah, the capital. It's like the capital, the capital of, that, temple, uh, yeah. of that God. So Ephesus is the Neocorse, the capital of Artemis worship. She's the Roman goddess of sexual fertility. And uh, our listeners might be familiar with the riots in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. The people shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. As we saw in Corinth in our last study, this is going to play into the way that Paul tells the men and women of Ephesus to conduct themselves. He says that they are to live counter to the culture. In a world where women like to disrespect their husbands and flaunt their mythology and goddess worship, Paul tells them to submit to each other. In the context of Ephesus, that makes sense that Paul would make special mention of the wives, not because it's the wifey role It's the role of women to submit to their husbands, not because of that, but because in Ephesus, it's more important to live that way than it is anywhere else. One of my favorite passages comes in the middle of this conversation and is built around the context of the annual Artemisian festival held every year in Ephesus. At the festival of Artemis, the people would parade the statue from the Artemisian temple, which was one of the eight wonders of the ancient world, by the way. Down to the harbor of Ephesus. Once at the harbor, the Artemisian priests would wash the statue with water and begin the slow ascent back to the temple of Artemis. This procession, uh, they believed, according to the Artemisian mythology, that when they washed her in the harbor, it restored her virginity. Uh, I'm not trying to be crude, but she's the goddess of sexual fertility. They wash her in the harbor at Ephesus during the festival. She gets her virginity back. And then as the procession starts back to the temple, uh, the, the crowd breaks out into rampant sexual frivolity, debauchery uh, that was rivaled by few festivals. I, I think of maybe our story of Caesarea Philippi, like think that kind of like level of debauchery or maybe some of the things we'll hear about in Pergamum. It, it makes the top of the list. And, and so she, she, she has her virginity restored, and by, th- by the time she makes it back to the temple, you are supposed to have made sure she has lost it again. Consider the context of the Artemisian festival as you read Paul's words from chapter 5, this time hopefully with a little bit of context. Go ahead, Brent. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Right. Do you, do you hear the Artemisian uh, festival behind that? What are they cleansing her with the water, uh, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word? Here's what Paul's definitely calling on this imagery of the Artemisian festival. Just like they take the statue of Artemis down to the harbor and they wash her and restore her virginity. He's just gotten done telling wives to do what, Brent? Famous verse. Wives. Submit yourselves to your own husbands. Right, which I'm arguing is coming because of the Ephesian context. And so Paul responds to that by, and if your wives are going to do that, if they're going to willingly give up, in a sense, what they could argue is their rightful equality in the Christian world. But if they're going to willingly lay that down in order to tell the world of Ephesus a different story, then you husbands, well, you better love her like Christ loved the church. You better cleanse her wash her, make her clean in a world that's going to accuse her of all kinds of things, in a world that really objectifies women and tears them down. You need to wash her with the water of the word, present her to herself, to, to, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. What I'm trying to point out here is this is not a passage just about abstract roles of women and men. This is Paul talking to the context of Ephesus, telling them how they ought to live so that they can tell the world of Ephesus the gospel. If this family of God in Ephesus is going to tell the world what God is like, they are going to need to love and submit to each other in a unique way. In the same way, if we wish to have anything to say to the world around us, we are going to have to find it within ourselves to pursue this new humanity that shows unity and love and service to those who were once far off. I think the exact same question we ought to ask in our day is what do we need to do in our church, in our context, to show this new humanity? Is it to keep women pushed down? Is it to keep women silent? Is it, is that what tells the world a gospel that's tearing down walls? I'm going to stop right there so I don't offend any more listeners, but a good question to challenge us with. Hopefully people at this point in the podcast are ready for a challenge. Yeah, I would hope so. I hope so. Uh, This is going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle today. It was certainly a battle for Paul. And so Paul closes his letter with some thoughts about battle, a thought about war, about a spiritual war, about armor. So Brent, how about we close this podcast off by you reading us some of the closing words of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's 
for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And all God's people said, Amen. There you go, Brent. Podcast on Ephesians. Maybe not as short as you anticipated. Not quite. This is, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. The next two will deliver. Don't you worry. Uh, well, Don't you all worry. Right, all right. We'll see about that. Uh, yeah. Good Good. Uh, good Ephesians stuff. Lots of, lots of stuff we're very familiar with, um, but maybe hopefully seeing it in a new light. Yes, absolutely. All right. If you have any questions about that, uh, you can get a hold of us. Go to baymodestipship.com. There's all sorts of ways to get in touch there. So thanks for joining us on the Baymod Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. I reserve the right to uh, interrupt you again. Uh, I, th- I think that's standard reservation. <laughs>